So Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through the end of chapter 1. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleaned. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to study your word together now, we ask that you would grant us a true and right and proper understanding of your word. Help us to see those things that you would have us learn. And we pray, O God, that as we see these things, we wouldn't just think in our head, those are lovely things to learn, but that we might live them out all of our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we pick up this morning... If you were with us last week, you'll remember that we spent time looking at the authority that Jesus has. The authority that Jesus has is absolute. It was absolute and it was entirely unquestionable. We saw this in how Jesus taught in the synagogues. And we see the response of the people saying, He teaches as one with authority, not as the scribes. We saw this in Jesus exercising the demons, and he was healing sick people. It was a massive Sabbath day we saw in Mark 1, verses 21 through to 34 last week. Verse 35, where we pick up this morning is the very next day. We pick up the story the very next day, but not only is it the very next day. Just remember, it's a huge, huge Sabbath that Jesus has just had, but it's very early the next day. We dive straight into the text this morning, and early in the morning, Jesus went out into a solitary place. What we see here is an interesting thing. Jesus is going away from the crowds. Jesus is going away from the crowds. You might remember part of what we read last week was that all of the city had rocked up at Simon and Andrew's house. They were there for healings, they were there for demons to be cast out. There's a huge number of people looking for Jesus. But here Jesus removes himself from the crowd and we have to ask ourselves why and the answer to that why is given to us in this passage. Jesus removed himself from the crowds. He went to a solitary place in order to spend time with his father. Now that right there immediately tells us a lot. Now, it tells us a lot, but I want to say that 
as we look at this, it's very easy to learn perhaps the wrong thing from this. I was doing some reading, as I do each week in preparation for my sermons, and I read one person say that what Mark is teaching us in this passage here is that if you're more inclined to stay up late at night and not be up early in the morning, you're not as holy as morning people. Morning people are far more holy than the night hours because that's when Jesus got up and did his devotions and spent time with his heavenly father. Now, I was offended by that. I'm not a morning person. You can ask my mum about that when I was growing up. Very interesting. But I don't think this is what Mark's teaching us here, not just because I'm not a morning person, but because we have to read an awful lot into what we read here in Mark to come to that conclusion. Now, while it's easy to get a wrong message out of this and something wrong for us to apply in our lives, there really is a lot of great things we have here. We are very blessed to have this. Because if we're looking for what I think would be right things we learn from this, the first thing we see here is the priority of spending time with God. The priority of growing our relationship with our Heavenly Father. What we have here, we have to remember as Mark is making more and more clear, is that Jesus is not just a man. This is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God in human flesh, still taking time to spend with his Father. That right there teaches us something. Jesus prioritised his relationship with the Father far more than he prioritised relationships with anyone else. Consider again the things that have just happened. The teaching, the wonder at Jesus' teaching, the casting out of demons, the healing. Many healings, many exorcisms of demons. I think if any of us had had the sort of Sabbath that Jesus had had, Right now, when we pick up at verse 35, if we were in Jesus' shoes right then, I think we would be riding a wave of emotional euphoria. We would be on a high. And I think we would be tempted, perhaps more than we would admit, to keep riding that for all the kicks that we could get out of it. So often we look to emotional satisfaction as a means by which we continue on facing whatever we face in life. When we face opposition and we live like that, though, suddenly it becomes a lot harder to keep going. But when things are going our way, when people love us for the things we do, when we have popularity we perhaps find ourselves acting, maybe without even realising we're doing it, as we find ourselves acting as if we are self-sufficient for all that we need in our lives. What's important for us to see here of what Jesus does is that he models something very different. It's very different than what the psychology of the world would promote as healthy living. Remember why Jesus came to do the will of the Father in all things. It's right then that he spends time with the Father as much as he can. 
So what this teaches us is that Christians, people who follow Christ, we should follow Jesus' example in this. Not acting as if we are self-sufficient, as well as things might have gone for us, but to continue coming back to spending time with God. To keep coming back to God. To daily spend time with Him. To grow our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father who has made us one of His children every chance we get. But we struggle with this, don't we? I've found if you talk to people about what makes it hard to to take this devotional time of prayer, of reading God's Word and meditating on God's Word, the answer, busyness, tends to come up quite a lot. That's the barrier. I find myself a bit too busy. I found a quote. I heard it a few years ago. There's no real awareness of the original source but it's suspected it came from a guy called St Francis de Sales. Now he is a Roman Catholic but he does have a good point. He says every Christian should meditate and sometimes the quote is pray rather meditate but every Christian should meditate for half an hour a day. Unless you're busy then spend an hour Well, he's not quite on the same page as us in a lot of theological points. He actually has a very good point here. St. Francis is on to something. Now, when we do this, we don't just do this to tick a box. Okay, I've spent time with God. I've ticked the devotional box for the day. Now I'm just going to go and ignore that and do whatever I want. There's actually a heartfelt thing going on here, similar to how... Uh, Peter's mother-in-law got up and served. It's a response of gratitude. It's gratefully spending time with God, gratefully learning from him, gratefully committing to him the things that are going on in our life. Each and every day we need to be living in and loving God's word. And when we're busy, those are the times when we need him more. Jesus has been busy. Jesus is busy. We look at what happens when the disciples find him and Simon seems to be speaking on their behalf. Everyone's looking for you. There's more to do. You're not done yet. Why have you stopped? Keep doing things. Jesus is busy. But he spent time. He spent the whole day before this working hard, but he still takes this time. And for all of us, for all of us, that teaches us something. For those who are more the night owl end of the spectrum like myself, if this means that you have to get up earlier than you'd normally get up, then do it. If this means for the morning people that you need to extend your day a little bit more into the evening to make sure you spend this time with God, then do it. Now, I think there's a lot more benefit in doing it early in the day before our minds get distracted by the various things that we face every day. But we see here the importance of time with our Heavenly Father. And when we love someone, we will make time for them. We just will make time for them. Now, one of the things that is interesting being married to a nurse is the schedule. It's all over the place. Sometimes there are days where it might look as if Anna and I can't spend any time with each other. And for us, that's something we committed to do, was to every day spend time with one another. 
when we lived in Canberra, Anna had a regular shift on Tuesday afternoon starting at 2.30. I had regular church ministries that I couldn't get out of in the morning. And they were a wonderful blessing. It wasn't a burden to do those things. But for us, that meant that we had to make sure that we took about an hour in the middle of the day to spend time with each other. We loved each other, so we did it. We made the time for one another, and we love each other, not past tense. But if that's how Anna and I treat each other, that's how husbands and wives treat each other, and we are to love God more than anyone or anything else, that should be more so for our devotional life to spend more time with God than anyone else. Jesus did this. But again, as I said, the disciples come up to him. Jesus, why have you disappeared for a bit? Where have you disappeared to? Why have you disappeared? Jesus, the people love you. There's more people ready to see you. They're saying, Jesus, come and heal more people. Come and cast out more demons. Everyone's looking for you. They're disappointed they can't find you. And Jesus' response is quite incredible and impressive, to say the least. Have a squeeze with me at verse 38. Jesus, the people looking for you is what's been said. Jesus says, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. The crowds are there where they are. But Jesus says, no, we're going to the next towns. Not just next town, next towns. More people need what I've got. And because Jesus is God, that is not an arrogant statement. Jesus is leading them to an understanding here, not telling them outright, but leading them to an understanding here that as amazing as the miracles, the healings, the exorcism is, there is something more important than those things. It seems to me that the crowds are coming to Jesus, not for the teaching, but for the miracles. And Jesus is saying that the teaching is even more important. Now, the miracles prove that Jesus is worth believing. The miracles show us that Jesus is more than just a man. But the miracles were not the be-all and the end-all of his ministry, the teaching the word of God, teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, teaching that repentance leading to faith is so important, is even more important than the miracles. At this point, the disciples still didn't quite get it. Perhaps we struggle with this at times as well. Perhaps we want that amazing, massive light bulb moment or that massive change or that massive breakthrough to happen right away rather than diligently chipping away with teaching. We can today still place a, have an over-importance placed on miracles rather than the teaching. Now, don't say the miracles were not important. But Jesus says, I'm going into the next towns to preach because that preaching is why I came forth. Now, we have to see this for what it is. This isn't Jesus being stingy with his miracles. If we were going to misapply that and we thought Jesus was being stingy with his miracles, perhaps we would suggest that this promotes the classic Presbyterian type fistedness when it comes to spending money. We don't have to do more. We're not going to do more. We're not going to spend that if we don't have to. But that's not what's going on here. This is Jesus doing the will of the Father. 
The things he has done are incredible. As incredible as they are, they affirm his teaching. And we see that very clearly with the paralytic man we meet next week. The miracles Jesus did, they affirmed and further cemented the things that he taught. Now we know we can get distracted. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that people back when Jesus was around got distracted. And sometimes that distraction was the miracles. I got so caught up on the miracles that Jesus wouldn't have been able to teach them as well. Let alone the fact that more people needed to hear this message to repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they moved on to the next towns so that Jesus can keep doing exactly what the Father had sent him to do on his way to the cross. So we get to verse 39. And Jesus comes into the next towns, preaching at their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. See, Jesus is still casting out demons. He's still doing amazing things. He is teaching. And we know from verse 22, which we saw last week, the nature of Jesus' teaching. It was authoritative teaching. Authoritative teaching. Powerful things are happening through his teaching. The teaching style has been established in verse 22. And again, he backed that up by continuing to, to teach and also prove that with his exorcisms. And from verse 39, we go to this unusual interaction with the leper in verse 40. Now, I don't like the passage break here between verses 39 and 40. I think it should be better served before verse 39, but that's my personal bugbear, and I'm going to have to get over that and just ignore it. So, we get into verse 40 to 45. And someone comes to Jesus, a leper. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I actually like this verse for translation assessment in Bible college because the word you came up so many times, you're guaranteed to get some points. This leper comes to him and the focus in what Mark is saying with that continual focus on came to him, imploring him, it keeps our eyes on Jesus. Yes, there is a leper, but the question is, what will Jesus do in response to this? This man has a terrible disease that caused an enormous amount of troubles for him. He was a social outcast. He was unclean. He could not enter into the synagogues. He can't be part of normal life. He can't really spend time with his family and friends. There is a depth of loneliness that is associated with this incurable disease. It's not just the physical but it's a mental and the spiritual toll that this would have taken on this man. He comes to Jesus, man, with, with no hope in a worldly sense, with no prospects in life in a worldly sense. A man with no hope of ever finding a cure. But he's heard Jesus has done things. So it's probably having given up hope, but now having this glimmer of hope. Maybe I can be made well. Maybe, you see here, he says not just to make him well, but to make him clean. Able to enter once more into the synagogue. Able to return to worship. A glimmer of hope. 
Despite so many disappointments in his life, he comes to Jesus and asks if Jesus is willing to make him clean. If you're willing, make me clean. It's an incredible display of, of faith. It's not necessarily faith leading to salvation just yet, but faith that Jesus can do what no one else can do. If Jesus wants to, Jesus can heal him from this thing. And Jesus... And we see an insight into his heart here, verse 41. Moved with compassion. He's not a cold, distant person. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched the unclean man, which would have in that time made Jesus himself unclean. But he reached out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Jesus went further than this man probably could have imagined him going just to receive that touch. And immediately, the man was cured of the incurable disease. The amazing scenes, they keep rolling. They keep coming. They keep showing us the one who we should have our faith in the one who we should believe, the one who we should obey. And on the point of obedience, look at what happens next. It's an interaction we might consider just weird. If I'd done this, I wouldn't mind people hearing that I could heal. But look what Jesus says. Tells him to go on his way and not to tell anyone about his healing. Now, the other part of what Jesus says to him is to do the things that Moses commanded. Jesus is working to ensure that proper worship of God is upheld in Israel. He diverts this man to God. He turns him back to faithful worship. But why the secrecy? So this guy wasn't a demon-possessed person yelling out what would be taken as a a bad character reference for Christ, as would likely have been the case from the demons as we saw last week. So why did Jesus tell him not to tell people? Go to verse 45. After the guy didn't listen, he went and told people. People flocked to Jesus. Jesus could no longer enter the city. Maybe you're thinking that's a good thing. Popularity can't be that bad. People are coming to Jesus. Isn't that a good thing? Well, from the tone of what Mark puts here is that people weren't coming to Jesus to hear those things that he was teaching about our spiritual state, about the forgiveness that God offers, about our need to repent before we are granted that forgiveness from God. People seem to be coming to Jesus for healing. And it has an impact on Jesus teaching as freely as he would have preferred. There is a matter for obedience here. It teaches us that we must obey Jesus. We should listen to the things that God says. And Jesus is proving himself to be God. We should be obedient. And while we should be obedient, there is still encouragement here when we fall short. That our sin, our disobedience does not stop God's will coming to pass. It does not 
and it cannot. Jesus continued to teach, but he was outside in the deserted places and the people still came to him from every direction. Again, what they're coming for probably isn't the right thing, but it did not stop God's will coming to pass. God's plan continuing on doesn't justify what this formerly uh, leprosy sufferer did. But we can be thankful And we should be thankful that we have a wonderful God whose plans are not changed or thwarted or impeded by our sin. Once more, we see our responses to Jesus coming into view. Peter's mother-in-law last week, who was faithful and humble in her response to Jesus healing her. This guy, not so much. There's not much humility demonstrated by this guy. I know Jesus told me to do this, but I would rather do this, so I'm going to do it. There's not really a whole heap of humility. And it shows, again, the various ways in which we can respond to Jesus. But as we finish this morning, we should ask ourselves where this leaves us. I think for starters, it should leave us with a hunger to learn more about what Jesus taught. And we see through the rest of the Bible that fleshed out even more. If Jesus' teaching is as important as he says it is, which it is, it should stir up in us a desire to learn more of it and not just to read it and go I know the overview of that that Jesus taught there but to know it by heart to commit it by heart so that everything we do might be shaped by God's wonderful word it should leave us considering our relationship with our heavenly father are we spending time with God or are we going through the motions are we rolling on whatever emotional highs we might find ourselves in We have to come daily to God to meditate on his word, to pray, to spend time with our Father who first loved us. We should learn to submit to God but be thankful that nothing we do or say can ever, ever derail God's plan. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for more of this incredible greatness we see taking place around Galilee. We thank you for the wonderful things that we learn from Jesus Christ our Lord. Things that challenge us and things that should shape our every single day. We want to follow Jesus. So we pray that we might learn this lesson of spending time with you that Jesus teaches us here through his actions. We pray that we might take your word seriously, not just to take the bits and pieces that please us, not to look for the amazing while you do so many amazing things, but may we learn those wonderful truths that we might learn about you because these shape our lives as well. So we ask that your Holy Spirit might work in us to see these things happen, that we might live for you, that we might glorify you because... As we have already prayed today, you are worthy to receive glory and honour 
and power. Amen.